Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all my inmost being, praise His holy name. Welcome to Marvin United Methodist Church's Sanctuary Service Broadcast. My name is Doug Baker. I'm the lead pastor of one of Tyler's historic downtown churches. Today we begin a five-week all-campus sermon series on worship. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So good to have you here this morning. We welcome those who are live streaming as well. We welcome you to Marvin Church and to our guests that are here for the first time today as well. We welcome you. Let us pray together. Lord, as these words are now proclaimed, I pray that you might speak through me. Lord, use me as your vessel. May the words that are spoken encourage and bless those who are here. May you open our hearts and minds to be attentive to your voice and transform us, Lord, that we may not leave this place the same as we've come without having encountered you and being renewed in spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I first arrived at the Naval Education Training Center in Newport, Rhode Island in 1989 to go to chaplain school for the U.S. Navy, I was greeted there and I was taken to the dormitory room in which I would be staying. I met my roommate and the first call of business was the gunny sergeant calling a meeting into the hallway in which we all heard the roll call, we were all present and accounted for, and then I was surprised by the very first action at Naval Chaplain's training, and that was to be taken into a bedroom and to be shown how to make our beds. You know, the bed in the, there had to be tight enough that it had its square corners and uh, the pillow placed perfectly between the headboard and the blanket there at the bottom. And in fact, the bed had to be so taut that the gunny could take a coin and drop it on your bed and have it bounce off the sheets. He also instructed us that if we did not make our beds well in the morning, sometime during the day when he made his inspection and his rounds, those beds would be torn up and we could find ourselves doing some push-ups. I found myself thinking, I'm at chaplain school, and I, why am I learning, why am I here learning how to make a bed? But then I realized, you don't ask why when you're talking to your gunny sergeant. Well, friends, it wasn't until really these past several weeks that I came to realize why it's important for any who enter boot camp or enter into chaplain school, learn how to make the bed. And this was a book read... Admiral William McRaven, who first inspired this book by giving it a commencement address that he gave to many of your alma maters, the University of Texas at Austin a few years ago. The advice that he gave to his graduates, if you want to change the world, start by making your bed. Now what is up with that? And let me just say, for those of you who are married and have extra pillows on your beds, <laughs> making your bed got a lot more complicated when I married Gina, I'm just saying. 
probably harder than being a naval chaplain school. The point of 37-year career man who was a Navy SEAL officer, become admiral, was this. Start your day with a completed task and an order followed. Interesting, isn't it? The way we start our day by making our bed is a way in which we have a completed task. We start the day getting things done and doing them the way they're supposed to be done, done right. As I thought about the beginning of this new sermon series we're doing across the campus for the next five weeks on worship, I thought about worship. I thought about private worship, my devotions in the morning, public worship, today gathering on the first day of the week, I remind you. And maybe it's true what Eben Pagan said. The first ritual that you do during the day is the highest leverage ritual by far because it has the effect of setting your mind and setting the context for the rest of the day. If that's true, then friends, we ought to be beginning our days with worship, private worship of God, and beginning our weeks It is Sunday, the first day of the week, with the public worship of God, therefore setting the context and the frame of mind for the entire week, that we are created by God to be worshipers. And that's what I want to talk about today with this new sermon series. Westminster Catechism says that people are created by God to glorify God and enjoy God forever. The scriptures in Genesis 1 says that God has created you in his image. And let me just say that I believe the human soul is probably the most magnificent part of God's creation. Because your human soul allows you not only to hear from God and to praise and worship God, but to also be in step with the Holy Spirit as you live your life. Isn't that amazing? And then we turn to the second chapter of Genesis, we find something even more beautiful, that in that creation story, we find that God is there, and Adam and Eve are walking with God, enjoying fellowship in the garden. So truly, worship is not only being in relationship with God, but really listening and living each day in the flow of the Spirit. The first commandment of the Ten Commandments is this. Have no other gods before me. The greatest commandment offered by Jesus, quoting Deuteronomy 6, is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It would be as if worship is really what we are created for. And A.W. Tozer, a great theologian, would put it this way. As flowers were created to be beautiful... As birds were created to sing, and as trees were created to bear fruit, so human beings were created to worship, to worship the living God. So if God has truly created us to be worshipers, and it seems that the trends in America today are for more and more people to get out of the practice of worshiping God, might we... surmise from this with the conclusion that part of our frustration, 
part of our disappointment and disillusionment with life, part of the strife that we are experiencing within humanity is the fact that we have forgotten that God has created us to be people of worship. A.W. Tozer wrote a book called Whatever Happened to Worship? And he says that as human beings, we experience the consequences of depravity and brokenness and sin in our world. And when sin entered the world, God's glory became dim and blurred. And the purpose for which we were created was lost. And when people lose their purpose, they will try so many things to find joy and fulfillment and meaning in life, often to their disappointment. You ever feel that way? I was talking with a friend just this past week who has kind of gone through a dry spell, and that happens in our spiritual journeys. Those moments where we used to be fervently in love with Christ and had a great devotional life or felt like we were in step with the Spirit, and we kind of hit a dry desert patch where we just don't feel that close to the Lord, kind of feel our life is a little bit out of sorts. Does that ring true for you? Well, the good news is one great theologian put it this way, that God is the hound of heaven and he is actively pursuing you. And no matter how far you might wander away, God will come looking for you. I remind you, Adam and Eve, what were they doing in the garden after sin entered into their lives? They were hiding from God and God was saying, where are you? And that same God, friends, is saying, where are you Today, where are you today when my people gather to worship? Where are you today? What are you doing today when I've set aside time when I would love to commune with you in the morning and share my truth through scripture? Let you hear my voice through silence and prayer. Experience my joy as you serve others. Where are you, God asks of us. Friends, I believe there's a rescue mission going on and it's God who loves you and he will not stop pursuing you for anything. But oh, how finicky we get, how temperamental we are in our spiritual lives and how drawn we are to other idols, right? And God still continues the rescue mission today. God loves you. And your proper response to the love of God is to worship. Worship is why you were born, and worship is the reason you are reborn. Worship is why God created you, and it is the reason that God has recreated you in Christ. God has always had a people, and those people have bowed the knee in humble worship to him. They haven't always gotten it right, but God has always had a people to worship him. Why? Because People are created to worship, and as his followers, we must show the example for those who are groping around life, trying to find their way, lost, chasing the things which will not fulfill. And we know, friends, those things will not fulfill. And yet God continues to call his people to worship him and serve him only. Those words, worship the Lord and serve him only, they come from the book of Deuteronomy, but let me tell you this, they were said by Jesus when he was facing the tempter in the desert, 
being tempted, he was asked, will he follow the devil? And he said, I will worship the Lord and serve him only. That's what we're going to talk about these next five weeks, a theology of worship. Why we do what we do on Sundays, why we do what we do in the mornings when we gather with the Lord in prayer, in scripture reading. Well, friends, one of the greatest gifts of the New Testament is the book of Hebrews, written by an author who some don't recognize, doesn't believe it's Paul, well-known in the church, well-acquainted with the Old Testament. He has a tremendous pastor's heart. He sees Christ as superior to all. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the mediator. Jesus is the one worthy of our worship. So if you want to open your Bible or if you've got it still open to the scripture reading from Hebrews 12, I've got four things that I'm going to land on today that I feel are a part of our worship practice, what we should be mindful of when we worship God. And the first one is this, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Secondly, we are asked to throw off the things that hinder and the sin that entangles us. We are called to run with perseverance the race that is set before us. And lastly, we must continue to fix our eyes on Jesus. So let's look at the first one, surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. If you have your Bibles open, if you were to look back at chapter, chapter 11, you would see a long list of names of people who are in the stadium of faith, who have run the race before you, and they're in the audience cheering us on. So anytime you open God's Word, you have an audience that's cheering you on. They're sharing their testimonies. They've gone through tests, and now they have a testimony that they want to share with you. There is Abel. There is Noah. There is Abraham. Jochebed, though not mentioned by name, the mother of Moses, who placed her son in a basket. Abraham and Sarah there because they had followed God where God led them to go even at an old age. And even Gideon and David are there. But friends, lest we think these heroes are so profound and great, let me remind you of their frailty, of their brokenness, of their sinfulness. Abraham thought he was too old. Noah got drunk and embarrassed his kids. Moses was a murderer and thought he was unqualified when asked to do the job. Gideon was, had an inferiority complex, and David was the smallest and youngest of his brothers, a surprise choice to be king, and also, after being king, became an adulterer and a conspirator to murder. What they have in common is this. When God came into their lives, they responded in faithfulness and they responded in worship. We have the Bible to inspire us, but there are other stories, and I hope that you're an avid reader of many Christian books and biographies and things, and I was reminded this week of D.L. Moody, a great evangelist of another age, a great uh, person of setting up uh, the Moody schools and publishing houses, and, and uh, this is what Moody heard. One day a preacher asked the question, the world has yet to see what God can do with a person who is fully consecrated to God. And Moody said, with God's help, I want to be that man. Wow. Do you hear those calls? Do you hear those testimonies? They're part of the crowd of witnesses that encourage us and cheer us on, but we don't have to necessarily always be reading biographies or we don't necessarily have to always be reading the scriptures. Take a look around you. 
Take a look around you. As I look into your eyes today, I'm looking into the faces of people who inspire me every Sunday. And I saw Alfred Najal this past week at Truett Seminary, and he inspires me as he's working on his doctorate in ministry and the work that he's doing in Dar es Salaam, which, by the way, is going to be probably in the next 20 to 30 years the largest city on the, in, on the continent of Africa. You talk about influence. This is a guy who's working big things for the Lord, and God, he inspires me, his faithfulness, his trust in God, his enthusiasm. But I was blessed last Sunday night. As many as you know, we had a small group meeting for uh, those that were doing class meetings and bands. It was not really a small group meeting. It was a rally meeting of the people that had been through it and those who are curious and were exploring it. And I heard a woman share that she has been coming to this church for five years going to worship faithfully, but feeling very, very much alone. But now that she's in a band and a class meeting, she now feels God transforming her life. There's the power of knowing people. There's the power of loving people. And don't you think that her worship on Sunday mornings is different now because she loves deeply the people that are in worship with her? That's the power of worship. That's the power of the band of witnesses and the group of witnesses all around us, whether they be scripture or heroes of the faith or even those who sit beside us. Secondly, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles. One of my uh, things, I ran track in high school and I, I uh, no, in no way would have ever thought of being in the Olympics. Not, not, not even thought of it. Not even possible. Not, not strong or fast enough to do that. But I'm always amazed that one of the first things that happens when they're called out to the blocks to run their race is they, uh, they take off their warm-up suits. They take off all the extra things. They, they strip down to basically, and it's gotten smaller and smaller over the years, let me just say, <laughs> what they're now running in. Some things look like bathing suits that they're running in, but the whole thing is you want nothing to hold you back, nothing to slow you down. You want to be, you know, cutting through the air with no resistance. Let us be inspired by that. Those runners know that as hard as they compete, the, the difference of just a millisecond and whether they win or lose may be due to the fact that they had some resistance that they did not take off. And so the word is here for us. Take off everything that hinders you in your pursuit of God. Anything that would keep you from worshiping God, that must go. And if there is sin that is entangling your life, and that's a great word because sin just does that, doesn't it? It entangles your life. It complicates your life. It twists up your life. It breaks relationships that are important. All of those things need to be stripped off. And one of the blessings of Holy Communion, like any sacrament in the church, of which we have two, baptism and communion, we always approach a sacrament with confession of sin. And in a moment, we're going to have a prayer of confession and pardon. Take your bulletin out with me and just look at this thing. And what I want us to do today while you're waiting for communion, while you're uh, back in your seat after communion, look over this prayer of confession and let's spend some time with it. Merciful God, how have I not loved you with my whole heart? Show me, Lord. Holy Spirit, speak to me. 
Merciful God, I have failed to be an obedient church. Lord, in what way did I contribute to the failure of Mormon church in the making of disciples for the growing of your kingdom? How am I contributing to the failure of our church? And then just work your way down. How am I staying out of your will? How am I resisting your law or rebelling against your love or not loving my neighbor? Just spend some time with the prayer that we will say as we prepare our hearts for communion. I was amazed by Martin Luther. I was reading about Martin Luther, the great reformer, 1517, 95 treatises nailed up on the door, started the great reformation. Luther, he was so fixated on the works and this was probably part of his problem, but I found out Martin Luther would sometimes spend six hours in confession before taking Holy Communion. Are you kidding me? Have I ever confessed my sin to God for more than six minutes? Let's just be honest. Maybe you're different than me. We do not spend nearly enough time in confession to the Lord. And let me tell you, things that I've read about renewal and revival in America and other places in the world, what happens? When people get serious about their sin, when people get serious and start confessing their sin, uh, a movement of renewal and revival often follows because the Holy Spirit begins to convict people to lay aside the sin that entangles. And thirdly, let's run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Eugene Peterson, Bible scholar, pastor, author of the Message Bible, wrote a book called Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And when he turned 85, he died at 85, I don't know how many months before, but he had a gathering of pastors in America. And it was a way to celebrate his legacy. It was a way to celebrate his contributions to the faith in America. And those pastors came to support him and to thank him for his devotion and all that he contributed. But one of the things that he did, of all things, that Eugene Peterson would have said, this was a testimony from someone who was there, he said this, you know what I saw the other day? I saw a kingfisher bird. And they're like, okay. He said, I was on my lake house in Montana and a kingfisher bird has this small bird and if you want to Google it, you can see what it looks like, very long beak and not the most aerodynamic, but it serves a good purpose because with that beak, it can dive into the water, stab its prey because it, it takes fish and other aquatic animals for its prey. That's how it eats its meals. But he says, the kingfisher, I watched it the other day. I watched it make 37 attempts to get its lunch. And he said, you know what I learned from that? Don't give up. There is importance in the staying power of doing the same thing persistently over and over and over again. What if that kingfisher bird had given up after 36 unsuccessful tries? Friends, I'm here to tell you, not every worship service at Marvin Church is gonna light you on fire. Not every sermon I preach is gonna give you goosebumps. Not every choral anthem, sorry choir, is gonna stir your heart. But if you come regularly and consistently over and over again, I guarantee it, God is going to work and change your life. 
because you will be worshiping him and you don't know what it may be. It may be a conversation with somebody on the pew with you that day. It may be a stirring anthem from the choir. It may be an incredible sermon. It may be a prayer that's offered by the pastor. It may be kneeling down for Holy Communion, but something somewhere by the power of the Holy Spirit is gonna grab your heart and change you for Jesus Christ. That's why you cannot neglect the power of being in person in worship because God shows up when his people gather to praise his name. So friends, lastly, let's keep our eyes on Jesus. And I'm just going to share some reflections here with you. I stumbled upon someone by the name of Frank Laubach. I shared one of his quotes the other day with you, and I'll share it again with you. It said, heaven invades earth, eternity invades time, and every now can be full of God. Let me tell you about Frank Laubach. He was a missionary of the Congregational Church. He was in the Philippine Islands teaching Literacy, teaching people how to read and to, to write and sharing the love of God with them. He wrote a book called The Game with Minutes. And he was consumed with the idea that he wanted to be fully consumed with a continual awareness of God's presence. And how he did this was every 15 minutes or every 30 minutes, he would check in with God. And if he saw someone approaching him that he was going to have a conversation with, he prayed, God, let me say the words to this person that will be a blessing to them. And if he was going to enter into some kind of service or some student work that he was going to do, he always prayed, Lord, let me accomplish what you want me to accomplish in this moment. He wanted to be fully immersed in Jesus Christ in that moment. And I said it took in this experiment of his six months before he had this epiphany, incredible moment where he felt like he was seeing now everybody through the eyes of Jesus Christ. And he felt like in his interaction with them in some way that they, as if they didn't want to leave him because they felt there was some special spiritual connection there. And Laubach says, I felt like this must have been what Jesus experienced when he walked this earth so long ago. People drawn to him, people looking to him, and he gave God the glory. He was God's man in that moment. He wrote in his journal, many journal entries, and the wonderful thing about the internet is you can go on and read journal entries from Frank Laubach. Just Frank Laubach, just Google his name and see what comes up. Friends, he wrote things like this. Every waking moment, surrender. Be responsive. Be obedient. Be sensitive. Be pliable. Be lost in God's love. He wrote, I have a burning passion. I want to be like Jesus. And secondly, I want to be in response to God as a violin responds to the bow in the hand of its master. And then he concludes, open my soul and entertain, uh, oh, so to us, open your soul and entertain the glory of God. And after a while, the glory will be reflected not only in you, but into the world in which you live. Friends, it sounds like to me that Frank Laubach was trying to live a life of worship. Every 15 minutes, every 30 minutes, checking in with God. Friends, you check your iPhone more than that. 
What would happen if we began to check in with God on a regular basis? It could change everything. And we might just fully then understand as we find the abundant life in Christ that maybe worship is what truly I have been created for. It is my purpose. It is my delight. It is my joy. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for watching our broadcast this morning. I would like to personally invite you to join us for Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 11 a.m. on our campus at 300 West Irwin Street, downtown Tyler. I hope you'll visit our website to learn more about our church and its ministry and serving opportunities. And if I can be of any assistance in your spiritual growth, I hope you'll let me know. If you'd like to contribute to our ministry of Marvin Church, please do so by following the information provided.